The Word of God, the Holy Bible, is a treasure and a gift beyond compare. Every passage of it points to a marvelous truth that God's love for man impelled him to step out of eternity and unite with his creation in order to redeem him from sin. Jesus Christ is both the author and subject of this precious word. Join us at the Superior Word each week as we search out this wonderful gift in search of Christ Jesus. Psalm 93. The Lord reigns. He is clothed with majesty. The Lord is clothed. He has girded himself with strength. Surely the world is established so that it cannot be moved. Your throne is established from of old. You are from everlasting. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their waves. The Lord on high is mightier than the noise of many waters, than the mighty waves of the sea. Your testimonies are very sure. Holiness adorns your house, O Lord, forever. We are in Numbers, chapter 9, verses 1 through 14 today. All right, Numbers chapter 9, verse 1. Now the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in the first month of the second year after they had come out of the land of Egypt, saying, Let the children of Israel keep the Passover at its appointed time. On the 14th day of this month, at twilight, you shall keep it at its appointed time. According to all its rites and ceremonies, you shall keep it. So Moses told the children of Israel that they should keep the Passover. Then they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the first month at twilight in the wilderness of Sinai. According to all that the Lord commanded Moses, so the children of Israel did. Now there were certain men who were defiled by a human corpse so that they could not keep the Passover on that day. And they came before Moses and Aaron that day. And those men said to him, We became defiled by a human corpse. Why are we kept from presenting the offering of the Lord at its appointed time among the children of Israel? And Moses said to them, Stand still, that I may hear what the Lord will command concerning you. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, If any of you or your posterity is unclean because of a corpse or is far away on a journey, he may still keep the Lord's Passover. On the fourteenth day of the second month, at twilight, they may keep it. They shall eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall leave none of it until morning, nor break one of its bones. According to all the ordinances of the Passover, they shall keep it. But the man who is clean and is not on a journey, and ceases to keep the Passover, that same person shall be cut off from among his people, because he did not bring the offering of the Lord at its appointed time. That man shall bear his sin." And if a stranger dwells among you and would keep the Lord's Passover, he must do so according to the rite of the Passover. And according to its ceremony, you shall have one ordinance, both for the stranger and the native of the land. The words of today's passage show both a sense of responding to the human condition and mercy, and also a sense of sternness in response to the human condition as well. We will see this as we go along. There is a rigidity in the law which shouts out to us to be careful lest we fall into condemnation. The lesson of the law is that we dare not push the Lord's goodness and find that we have overstepped boundaries which he will not forgive. If a person were to purposefully neglect the observance of the Lord's Passover, they were to be cut off from their people. That is clear, and the penalty is precise and it is fixed. But is that the end of the story? Or is there a condition in God which, when properly pursued, will find even the disobedient obtaining grace and mercy? The law is written, the requirements are set, and that is that. Any infraction or failure to meet the written code means getting whacked. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 30 for a minute. And while I'm looking for this, I want to let you know that this is a rather complicated sermon. Don't feel bad if you don't remember it all. Just go home and watch it four times and you'll absorb it. But it is a bit complicated in some of the things it details. 2 Corinthians chapter 30. I'm going to read you verses 1 through 20. And Hezekiah, remember what I just said. The law says that if you miss the Passover, that's it. You are not to miss the Passover or you're going to get whacked. That man shall be cut off from among his people. Chapter 30, and Hezekiah sent to all Israel and Judah and also wrote letters to Ephraim and Manasseh that they should come to the house of the Lord at Jerusalem to keep the Passover to the Lord God of Israel. 
For the king and his leaders and all the assembly in Jerusalem had agreed to keep the Passover in the second month. For they could not keep it at the regular time, because a sufficient number of priests had not consecrated themselves, nor had the people gathered together at Jerusalem. And the matter pleased the king and all the assembly, so they resolved to make a proclamation throughout all Israel from Beersheba to Dan, that they should come to keep the Passover to the Lord God of Israel at Jerusalem, since they had not done it for a long time in the prescribed manner. Then the runners went throughout all Israel and Judah with the letters from the king and his leaders and spoke according to the command of the king, Children of Israel, return to the Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Then he will return to the remnant of you who have escaped from the hand of the kings of Assyria. And do not be like your fathers and your brethren who trespassed against the Lord God of their fathers, so that he gave them up to desolation as you see. Now do not be stiff-necked as your fathers were, but yield yourselves to the Lord, and enter his sanctuary which he sanctified forever, and serve the Lord your God, that the fierceness of his wrath may turn away from you. For if you return to the Lord, your brethren and your children will be treated with compassion by those who led them captive." so that they may come back to this land. For the Lord your God is gracious and merciful and will not turn his face from you if you return to him. So the runners passed through from city to city through the country of Ephraim and Manasseh as far as Zebulun, but they laughed at them and mocked them. Nevertheless, some from Asher, Manasseh, and Zebulun humbled themselves and came to Jerusalem. Also, the hand of God was on Judah to give them singleness of heart to obey the command of the king and the leaders at the word of the Lord. Now many people, a very great assembly, gathered at Jerusalem to keep the Feast of Unleavened Bread in the second month. They arose and took away the altars that were in Jerusalem, and they took away all the incense altars and cast them into the brook Kidron. Then they slaughtered the Passover lambs on the 14th day of the second month. The priests and the Levites were ashamed and sanctified themselves and brought the burnt offerings to the house of the Lord. They stood in their place according to their custom, according to the law of Moses, the man of God. The priests sprinkled the blood received from the hand of the Levites, for there were many in the assembly who had not sanctified themselves. Therefore, the Levites had charge of the slaughter of the Passover lambs for everyone who was not clean to sanctify them to the Lord. For a multitude of the people, many from Ephraim, Manasseh, Issachar, and Zebulun had not cleansed themselves, yet they ate the Passover contrary to what was written. But Hezekiah prayed for them, saying, May the good Lord provide atonement for everyone who prepares his heart to seek God, the Lord God of his fathers, though he is not cleansed according to the purification of the sanctuary. Verse 20, my hair is standing up all over my body right now at these words. And the Lord listened to Hezekiah and healed his people. Contrary to the word of the Lord, contrary to the law of Moses, and the Lord healed his people. Our text verse comes from Ephesians chapter 1. It's verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Hellfire preaching has one of two main effects. One, it will lead a person to the Lord out of fear of being lost, but it will turn that person into a staunch legalist. Or two, it will simply turn the listener further away from the Lord when they see that God is a vengeful ogre who just wants to torment those who won't yield to his rules and his demands. Both of those options are unsound. God is a God of fixed rules, but God is the God who sent Jesus Christ to save sinners even from those fixed rules. Hezekiah and those with him failed to observe the Passover at its appointed time. They should have been whacked. But Hezekiah and those who were willing petitioned the Lord for a second chance, an undeserved one at that, and the Lord heard them, and the Lord healed them. Even in the second chance, they weren't ready for it. They were unclean, and he still healed them. When you get fearful about the hand of God coming down on you too heavily, just turn your heart to him and appeal to him based on his great love and mercy, which is found in the giving of his son, when you do this, there is nothing in heaven or earth that can keep you from his good and tender mercy. Please remember this as you contemplate the rigidity of the law which is set against us. It's all to be found in his superior word. And so let's turn to that precious word once again. And may God speak to us through his word today. And may his glorious name ever be praised. I have a couple of thoughts for you today. The first is 
keeping the Passover at its appointed time. It's verses one through five. Verse one, now the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai. The introductory words of this section vary from the usual opening words, which simply say, now the Lord spoke to Moses. This more closely matches the opening words of the book of Numbers. It gives the name of the speaker, meaning the Lord Jehovah. It gives the addressee, Moses, and it gives the location, Bar Sinai, or in the wilderness of Sinai. One must ask, why has the Lord lengthened this introductory statement in this way? In questioning the text, one will then pay attention to the surrounding text. In this case, the very next words explain the emphasis. Verse 1 continues, In the first month of the second year after they had come out of the land of Egypt, saying, Isn't that odd? In the first month of the second year, the book of Numbers begins with, Now the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in the tabernacle meeting on the first day of the second month, in the second year after they had come out of the land of Egypt. That means that the words spoken here in this chapter actually precede every chronological thing that has been stated so far in Numbers. Further, the events of Exodus 40, which close out that book, are said to have occurred on a specific day. Exodus 40 verse 17 says, And it came to pass in the first month of the second year on the first day of the month that the tabernacle was raised up. Therefore, the events which are now recorded here in Numbers chapter 9 occur sometime during the events of the book of Leviticus, between the first day of the first month and the 14th day of the first month. This is because the Passover, which will next be referred to, occurs on the 14th of the first month. What makes this more difficult to understand is that no specific day is mentioned in this verse. It simply says, in the first month. Had the Lord given the day this was spoken, the entire thought would have been less obscure. However, he chose to only mention that it was in the first month. Normally, though, this would mean the first day of the month. Usually when the day isn't mentioned, it means the first day of the first month. It then seems like an odd placement for chapter 9 of Numbers. And some scholars, such as Adam Clark, go into great detail about how such an error could have taken place. Others neglect the basic reasoning of the Lord for placing the account here by simply questioning but not answering why it is so placed. Instead of neglecting the context, though, John Lang, who I absolutely love, provides a reasonable explanation for the placement of the passage. Here's what he says. The present section, meaning chapter 9 that we're looking at, gives us very plain evidence that all the representations of the book of Numbers up to this point are devoted to the equipment of the army of God for its military expedition. For instance, in respect to time, this regulation concerning the celebration of the Passover by such as were become unclean reaches very far back beyond the 14th day of the first month. But it is placed in this connection because it here treats of the completeness of the celebration of the Passover by the entire army of God. And because those who are unclean and those on journeys would be absent at the legal period. This gap must also at length be filled up. The chief stress is thus on the little Passover. That means the second Passover. The nice thing about John Lang is that he takes the reliability of God, having preserved his word, both in tent and in order, as an axiom. He then reasons, because this is so, let us figure out why. He has placed the passage where it is. In other words, he follows the primary rule of hermeneutics, and he looks at the passage in context. From that context, the reason for its placement will likely present itself. And the context is that a second, a little Passover, is to be held a month after the first. This little Passover occurs after the events of the previous chapters, but before the hosts of Israel depart Sinai and towards the land of promise, meaning Canaan. And so, understanding that these words are exactly where they should be, and that the Lord is instructing the people on a matter which will then pertain to all of the people of God, he continues his words to Moses Verse 2, let the children of Israel keep the Passover at its appointed time. Remembering that these words precede the events so far in Numbers, and that we are going back to a previous date and time, which is between the first and the fourteenth day of the preceding month, the Lord has said this to Moses, in essence, okay Moses, the time for the Passover is coming, and you are to be sure to observe it when the day arrives. 
The reason why he is doing this is because of what it says at the giving of the first Passover while they were still in Egypt. Here's what it says from Exodus chapter 12. And you shall observe this thing as an ordinance for you and your sons forever. It will come to pass when you come to the land which the Lord has given you, just as he promised that you shall keep this service. The people had been told that when they entered Canaan, they were to observe the annual Passover feast. However, they have not yet entered Canaan. They were still in the desert, and the time of the Passover had arrived. Were they to observe it or not? The delay in entering Canaan was necessary, but they were not in Canaan. To ensure that the feast was to be understood as one which was not limited to entry into Canaan alone, but was an annual marker to be celebrated despite that, the Lord speaks out these words right now. Now, some scholars disagree that this is the reason for the Lord's instructions to Moses about the Passover. Instead, they state that it is because with the sanctuary now standing, the sacrifice of the Passover was to be in accord with the rules of sacrifice at the sanctuary rather than at individual homes. Well, this is true, and all sacrifices were to be conducted in this way. The blood of the sacrifice was to be splashed on the altar, not put on the entrance to the people's homes as when they were in Egypt. However, the primary purpose must be that the Passover was to be observed. The details of how to observe it are secondary to the necessity to do so. And so the Lord now provides these words. Verse 3, on the 14th day of this month, nothing is said about taking the lamb on the 10th of the month, as was required in the first Passover. Remember back in Egypt, they were to take a lamb on the 10th day of the first month. There was a specific reason for doing that on the first Passover, which was because of the plague of darkness, which would cover Egypt for three days. In fact, there are four things which occurred in the original Passover in Egypt, which would no longer be repeated by the people of Israel. The first was eating the lamb in their houses dispersed throughout Goshen. They're no longer in Goshen. They were now gone from Egypt. The second is taking the lamb on the 10th day of the month. The third was striking the blood of the lamb on the doorposts and the lintel of the houses. And finally, the eating of the Passover in haste. The feast was now to be an observance of what had occurred. The destroyer would no longer come. The people would no longer depart their homes and so on. Therefore, there would be these changes to what occurred one year earlier. Verse three going on at twilight. The Hebrew says Ben Ha'arbaim, or between the evenings. It seems like a perplexing phrase, but it is based on biblical time. In the Bible, a day is divided into evening and morning. Thus, there are actually two evenings to be reckoned. The first began at 12, and it runs to sunset. The second begins at sunset and continues down until night, meaning the whole time of twilight. This would therefore be between 12 o'clock and the termination of twilight. And so, between the evenings is a phrase which allows for the three o'clock sacrifices at the temple to be considered as the evening sacrifice, even though to us it would be considered an afternoon sacrifice. It is a phrase used only 11 times in the Bible, and it always, every single time, points to the timing of the death of Jesus Christ, which the Gospels record as three o'clock in the afternoon. It is at this time of day, meaning between the evenings, that the Lord says, verse 3 continues, you shall keep it at its appointed time. The word for appointed time is moed. It is the same word used when speaking of the tent of meeting, ohel, moed. It signifies an appointed time or a meeting. In other words, appointed time in this verse is surely a reference to both the day, the 14th of the month, and the time of day, on the 14th of the month, the time between the evenings, on that day, there is to be an appointed time, a meeting. It is a fixed time, which points to the work of Jesus Christ, and thus to maintain the imagery, the details were to be carefully adhered to. It was on this day, and at this time, verse 3 continues, according to all its rites and ceremonies, you shall keep it. The words here include all of the required details of Exodus chapter 12, where the Passover was first instituted. However, it would also include the details of sacrifice for such an animal which are recorded in the book of Leviticus, including the splashing of the blood upon the altar. A problem arises here simply because of the number of people in the camp and the amount of time it would take to sacrifice all of those lambs between the evenings. This is especially so because there are only three priests at this time, Aaron and his two surviving sons. 
there are a few things to consider. The Passover was mandatory, and the Lord would not mandate something the priests could not accomplish. Therefore, we can assume that the people probably slaughtered their own lambs and brought the blood to the priests. The Levites have not yet at this time in the chronology of events been selected to assist the priests. Secondly, there may still be a mixed multitude not yet reckoned as native Israelites. We saw that in previous sermons. So, not all counted in the census would partake of the Passover, because no uncircumcised person could do so according to the original instructions which were given back in chapter 12 of Exodus. Here's what it said there. And when a stranger dwells with you and wants to keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised and then let them come near and keep it. And he shall be as a native of the land. For no uncircumcised person shall eat it. One law shall be for the native born and for the stranger who dwells among you. Though the census is future to the narrative now, the numbers don't change. It's only a couple days away, okay? As was seen in Numbers chapter 3, there were 22,273 firstborn of Israel recorded. If one were to figure on very large households, we'll say 10 people for each firstborn, which would be a huge exaggeration, by the way, that would equal 222,730 people. Then add in the 22,300 Levites with their families of 10 each, and you would have a total of 445,730 people. If one lamb fed 10 people, that would be 44,573 lambs. If one fed 20, that would be 22,287 lambs. And this is figuring very high on family size. The number is completely manageable when taken in this light. In fact, Josephus records that during temple times, one year, 256,500 paschal lambs were sacrificed in Jerusalem in one year. The Passover would have been handled by the Lord as required and without the difficulty that some scholars attempt to find. Verse 4, so Moses told the children of Israel that they should keep the Passover. This verse confirms the supposition that the primary purpose of the Lord's words is to ensure that the people knew the Passover was to in fact be observed, even though they were not yet in Canaan. The necessity of holding the right is the preeminent reason for this command. How it should be conducted is secondary. The same thought continues to be seen with the next words. Verse 5, And they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the first month at twilight in the wilderness of Sinai. The record is specifically showing the event, the Passover, the day of the event, the 14th of the first month, the time of the event, which is between the evenings and also the location of the event, the wilderness of Sinai, were all kept according to the word of the Lord. This is the primary reason it was given as a memorial, which would look forward to the coming Christ. Each word looks forward to him. He is our Passover lamb. He was crucified on the 14th day of the first month. He did die between the evenings, and his crown was woven from thorns, represented by Sinai. The word sin, from which Sinai is derived, means thorn, as in a thorn bush. The name Sinai means bush of the Lord. The people's observance of this feast looked forward to the coming Messiah and the true redemption which is found in him. What is curious is that only the Passover and not the Feast of Unleavened Bread is mentioned. However, for the context of instituting the little Passover, which is the intent of this entire passage, the words are now given. It is probable that unleavened bread was observed, but the issue of this chapter is what happens if I miss the Passover? Because of that, only the Passover is mentioned, and it was conducted, verse 5 continues, according to all that the Lord commanded Moses, so the children of Israel did. It is certain that many details of the Passover and how it was conducted have been left out. However, the issue at hand deals with what lies ahead in the coming verses. Regardless of the details that we don't have, we do have the statement that the people did as expected, and they observed the Passover at its proper time. From here, there is speculation that the Passover was not celebrated again during the entire time of the wilderness wanderings. The reason for this is found first in the verses which we already read from Exodus. Here's what it says. And when a stranger dwells with you and wants to keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised. Everybody remember that. I read it a minute ago. Okay. It goes on. And then let them come near and keep it. Then he shall be as a native of the land. For no uncircumcised person shall eat it. One law shall be for the native born and for the stranger who dwells among you. 
Well, guess what? No uncircumcised person could partake of the Passover. But this is recorded next in Joshua chapter 5, just days after crossing the Jordan. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives for yourself and circumcise the sons of Israel again the second time. So Joshua made flint knives for himself and circumcised the sons of Israel at the hill of foreskins. And this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the people who came out of Egypt who were males, all the men of war had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come out of Egypt. For all the people who came out had been circumcised, but all the people born in the wilderness on the way as they came out of Egypt had not been circumcised. So they hadn't been circumcised. They could not keep the Passover. And that's what scholars say. Well, then they didn't observe it. Just a few verses later, it says this. Now the children of Israel camped in Gilgal and kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month at twilight on the plains of Jericho. Jewish tradition says that no Passover was held because of this. However, this dismisses the fact that some of the people, 20 and above, who were circumcised remained alive even to the very last year before crossing the Jordan. Further, everyone, 19 and below, who were born before the Exodus and who would enter into Canaan with Joshua were all circumcised. It is those who were born in the wilderness who were not circumcised. The reason for that will be addressed when we get to Joshua chapter 5, hopefully around early to mid-2022. <laughs> Until then, there is no reason to assume that those who were brought out of Egypt and who were circumcised didn't observe the Passover. Everybody see the logic? Okay. In judgment, I will pass through the land. I will destroy those who remain at war with me. In my anger, I will strike with my mighty hand a crushing blow for all the world to see. But there is also mercy for those who pay heed. I will not strike those who have faith in my word. When I see the blood, then it is agreed that I will extend mercy, even I, the Lord. Their judgment came in a substitute, an innocent lamb for them has died. My righteousness to them I will impute, for to their hearts the lamb's blood they have applied. Our second thought today is the little Passover. It's verses 6 through 14. Verse 6, now there were certain men who were defiled by a human corpse. It is believed that these men were Mishael and Elzaphan, who had carried out the bodies of Aaron's sons when they died before the Lord. That was back in Leviticus chapter 10. As it was during their ordination, their deaths could not have happened before the 8th of that month. The Passover is on the 14th, and so if defilement lasted seven days, they could not eat the Passover. Leviticus 21 verse 1 shows that touching a dead person would bring defilement. That referred to the priests, but the principle must be true for anyone. However, there is nothing recorded which says how long that defilement would last. For this reason, it is assumed that the purification for that very purpose, which is found in Numbers chapter 19, which is still 10 chapters away, has already been given, and the people were aware of it. Whether correct or not, they are considered defiled, thus verse 6 continues, so that they could not keep the Passover on that day. According to Leviticus 7 verse 1, defilement meant that a person could not participate in a sacrificial meal, specifically a peace offering. This appears to extend to the Passover, and therefore a defiled person would be excluded. No matter what, the people were unclean, they understood that it lasted for a certain duration, and it meant that they could not eat the Passover. Verse 6 continues. And they came before Moses and Aaron that day. It is of note that it says they came before both Moses and Aaron. Moses is the lawgiver, but Aaron is now the recognized high priest. If a matter of uncleanness which could be resolved was seen, then he would be the one to handle it. However, if it was a matter which could not be resolved by him, then Moses would be the one to provide the necessary directions. Regardless of any other events in the timeline, this had to have occurred during the first month as is stated in verse 9-1. This is because Numbers 5 verse 2 said that everyone who was defiled was to be put outside the camp. Remember that? This means that these men, if they were defiled, could not have come up to Moses and Aaron inside the camp. Therefore, the unclean in the camp had not yet been put out. Though it is incredibly hard to pin down the exact timing of some events, it is also impossible 
It is impossible to find error in the events as they are recorded. Everybody understand you have a sure word in the Holy Bible. The unseen hand of the Lord had ensured that his word was carefully recorded and maintained without contradiction or without error. Difficulties are seen, but they are simply difficulties to us, not such that would speak against the integrity of this word. People, the reason why I'm doing this is because people, scholars that I read, do everything they can to tear this word apart, and they find every possible contradiction that you can name, and I have to go and search out, how is that wrong? Thank goodness there's people like John Lang that resolve one for me. I don't have to do that. But there are 10 others that I have to say, I need an answer to this because somebody's going to ask this someday, and I guarantee you that they will have an answer that supports the inerrancy of this word. Understanding this, the reason for including this passage in a place which is seemingly out of place is because it deals with how to handle those people who could not participate in the regular Passover. For them, a special provision will be made based on their next words to Moses. Verse 7, And those men said to him, We became defiled by a human corpse. Why are we kept from presenting the offering of the Lord at its appointed time among the children of Israel? Though the men were said to come before both Moses and Aaron, their words are to Moses alone. The preposition in the Hebrew is in the third person singular. They understood that Moses is the leader and the one to first make a determination concerning this matter. The words of the men here may be more directed toward the loss of a right rather than a fear of failing to perform a required duty. They had left Egypt just a year earlier and were probably very excited at the prospect of observing the Passover, just like I am very excited at the prospect of a smoked turkey in just four days. Imagine that. This is what they've been living for. They've been in the wilderness. They've been living without any food except manna, and they're, they're deprived of it. They're deprived of joy because of all the work around the tabernacle and the wrath of the Lord and this and that, and a lamb is coming, and they get to eat it and participate in fellowship and what they had experienced one year earlier. Turkey coming to you guys too, all right? However, it may be that they also do fear that missing out on the Passover could be a cause of incurring the wrath of the Lord. They just carried out two dead guys, didn't they? It seems as if there is a two-pronged reason for coming forward as they have. It is fair to guess that these men are, in fact, Mishael and Elzaphon. They had been instructed to accomplish the task of carrying away the dead, and more, they were Aaron's sons who had died. In this, they would be the most likely to feel deprived of not observing the Passover. If their defilement was accidental or not related to the events which are recorded in Leviticus, they probably would have just accepted their lot. But in their case, it was for the Lord's honor and the continuance of the priesthood that their defilement had come about. The Hebrew words say, temeim le nefesh adam, or defiled by the soul of a man. It does not say by a corpse. It is the same term used in Leviticus 21 verse 1 when informing the priests not to become defiled in this way. The idea is that of a dead body, however. When a soul leaves the body, we don't mourn for the body, do we? But for the soul that is departed. The body without a soul is defiled. And that defilement transfers to whoever touches it. Such is the case here. I'm going to stop for just a second. I'm going to say, yes, I have a smoked turkey coming. I'm not going to give their last name, but it has been sent to me by Mike and Deb. And that's all I'm going to say. And I want to thank them during this sermon for having sent that to us. Hedico has to work this Thanksgiving and she doesn't have to cook because of it. And we're so grateful. Verse eight. And Moses said to them, stand still that I may hear what the Lord will command concerning you. Here we have a unique event which has no answer as of yet. It shows an imperfection of the law thus far given in its mandated precepts. There is the requirement to keep the Passover, but there is the prescription to not keep the Passover when one is unclean. The missing details have caused an apparent conflict of duties for these men. What will Moses decide? The answer is that he cannot decide. The law is explicit on both accounts, and therefore he must go to the lawgiver to obtain an answer. And so he tells them to stand while he obtains an answer. In this, he certainly went before the Lord into the tent of meeting, and there he petitioned him for clarification concerning the matter at hand. Does everybody understand this? There's a law that says you must observe the Passover, and there's a law that says you must not observe the Passover. And it is irreconcilable without further directions. 
there is a lesson here for us which is expressed clearly by Paul when he says these words, do not think beyond what is written. In other words, the law has been given to Moses. It contains two prescriptions which are not reconcilable without more instruction. And so he goes to obtain that instruction. The same must be true with us, but in a more complete sense. We have the full counsel of God. What it says is our guide. We are not to go beyond that guide, making things up in order to suit our own will. I have people try to trap me in this all the time. They send me an email and they say this and this and this, and they say, well, what about that? And I said, I cannot go beyond what is written. If the Bible doesn't expressly answer that question, then I have to go back by default to the precept that is in the Bible, and I cannot go beyond what is written. I get it for divorce. I get it for defilement. I get it for this, and I get it for that. People are always trying to trap you, and these aren't people that are friendly to the Bible. They're people that are trying to trap you so that they can say that you have made an error in your theology, and it happens all the time. Believe me, it sometimes happens with Christians that just don't know, but we have to never go beyond what is written. When it says, and I mean this, when it says in the Bible that a woman is not to teach or have authority over a man, I am not to go beyond what is written. That is prescriptive, that is from Paul's hand, and I cannot go and try to find another verse which will give me an out in that. It does not give me an out. Those are descriptive verses, they're Old Testament verses, they're verses that are given for whatever reason, and it is irreconcilable with the precept which is given in the book of 1 Timothy Chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. I will not go beyond what is written. This happens all the time. Do not do it. Don't let people get you into that type of a box. What it says, what the Bible says, we are not to go beyond that guide. Making things up in order to suit our own will. Rather, we are to seek the Lord's will from his word and then properly apply it to our lives. Verse 9. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, This is the standard formula which is most often seen when the Lord has words of instruction for Moses. It tells us that he did, in fact, go in to the Lord in the tent of meeting. And there he obtains the answer to this difficulty. Verse 10, speak to the children of Israel saying, if any one of you or your posterity is unclean because of a corpse or is far away on a journey, he may still keep the Lord's Passover. Two exceptions are made here. The first is uncleanness, and the second is being on a journey which would hinder the individual from keeping the Passover. Less likely, but still possible, is that the term may be an idiom which is exhaustive in nature for any great reason. Everybody understand that? It may be an idiom. In other words, any great reason you may still keep the Passover. If this is so, it would still have to be a true reason and not one which merely fits the man's convenience. As a side note, the word of this verse translated as far away is pointed in the Hebrew text with a dot above it, known as a puncta extraordinaria. This is one of only 10 such pointings in the Pentateuch. Rabbinical explanations are that the word either doesn't belong there or that it means something other than far away. The reason for this is that it is not repeated in verse 13. We'll get down to there in a minute. It won't be there. Although the pointing does call attention to the word, the reason it is pointed doesn't change the fact that the word is there and that it should be considered as original. If the words of the Lord are exhaustive in nature, then it is even more appropriately stated as far away. It is showing that even to the extreme case, the law applies. Regardless, the provision is made and it is granted for, verse 11, on the 14th day of the second month. The Passover for one who cannot make the first Passover is to be held exactly one month later. This is the time of the coming of the full moon. And so it is appropriate that the exact interval of one month is given. The symbolism of the Passover was not to be missed, even down to the condition of the night sky, which points, as all other parts of the Passover do, to the work of Jesus Christ. As the moon is full at night, it is on the opposite side of the earth from the sun. When the sun is out, the moon is hidden. In other words, it is impossible to have an eclipse of the sun during a full moon. Thus, the darkness of the earth at the time of the death of Jesus Christ was not merely an eclipse at that time. It was a sign to the people that it was not a natural occurrence which darkened the skies that day, but rather it was a supernatural one which reflected the state of the heavens at the death of the Lord. Verse 11 continues, at twilight they may keep it. Again, as before, the words ben ha'arbaim, or between the evenings, is given. 
Though the month is allowed to be changed for the needs of the individual, the symbolism outside of that is to be carefully maintained. The time of day that Christ Jesus died on the cross must be maintained despite the authorized change. Verse 11 continues, They shall eat it with unleavened bread. And again, the symbolism is maintained. This was not necessary to be stated for observing the Passover at the normal time because it was already given as a precept at the time of the original instructions. However, someone might think, I'm not observing the Passover on its intended day, and so I can modify the dinner to eat something nummier that I want, right? And if they could, if they could eat something nummier than just unleavened bread, guess what? A lot of people would start finding reasons to not be there on the first Passover so they could have nummy on the second Passover. It would become a nummy party. And so this is what the Lord is doing. He's being very precise to indicate that everything must point to Jesus Christ. He suffered. The people are to observe that suffering in advance of it coming. Christ, the bread of life, was and is sinless. Therefore, there was to be no leaven in the bread eaten by the observer. Christ is seen in the unleavened bread or matzah, which we take every single week here. Leaven pictures sin. It causes bread to be puffed up, such as man is filled with pride, right? He's puffed up. And leaven is a species of corruption because it is produced by fermentation. In Christ, there is no sin. And in Christ, there is no corruption. The Passover meal was to picture that the people were participating in Christ just as we are to now. This is explained by Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. There he explicitly ties leaven to sin and how we are to live in Christ just as he is. Here's what he says. Your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore, purge out the old leaven, meaning the sin in your life, that you may be a new lump since you truly are unleavened. What does that mean? It means that Christ has made us sinless. We're not actually sinless, but he covers our sins so fully. And because he has taken away the law in that act, sin is no longer imputed to us. And therefore, we are wholly unleavened. Therefore, he says, let us keep the feast, not with the old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. The feast Paul is speaking of here is the fulfilled feast of Passover and unleavened bread. It does not mean that we are to actually observe the Passover, but we are to come to Christ and live out our lives for him. Verse 11 continues, and bitter herbs. The bitter herbs were lessened to the Israelites and to us. To Israel, they pictured the bitter bondage that they were about to leave. For us, it's a similar picture. We are to remember the bitterness of our own life in Egypt, the life of sin that we had once been a part of. We were alcoholics. We were drunkards. We were sexually immoral. Whatever was our sin, we're to leave that behind. It was a land of torture, of bondage, and living under the wicked ruler of this world. The bitter herbs signify a memorial of Christ's work, leading us out of that sorry place and to the wonders of eternal life with him but they more significantly picture the bitterness that he endured in order for us to receive that blessing of true life in him. Verse 12, they shall leave none of it until morning. Two reasons for this point to Christ. First, it is to ensure that nobody would keep any bone or any other part of the animal as a talisman or a memorial. Secondly, it was to ensure that nobody else could gather them and use them for profane purposes. Both show that we are to carry with us the sacrifice of Christ, not in idols, but in our hearts and in who we are. He is also not a sacrifice which can be used by others for their own profane purposes. As we see in the prophecy update, week after week after week, we saw one today with that female pastor in the Lutheran church using Christ in a most profane way. There is one sacrifice of Christ and it is only for the people of God to be carried internally. We are to honor and revere the God who gave us this great lamb and who has redeemed us through his death. Verse 12 continues, nor break one of its bones. The Passover lamb of Israel was the type made to correspond to the antitype, which is found in Christ. The fulfillment of this picture is found anticipating Jesus Christ in Psalm 34, verse 20. And then it is then realized in John chapter 19, citing the 34th Psalm, which tells of him on the cross. Here's what it says. For these things were done that scripture should be fulfilled. Not one of his bones shall be broken. He died prior to the need for the soldiers to break his bones in order to expedite his death. 
This was anticipated each year in the observance of the Passover by Israel. Verse 12 continues, according to all the ordinances of the Passover, they shall keep it. The word ordinances is incorrect. The Hebrew reads, kekel chukat ha-pesach, or according to all the ordinance of the Passover. It is singular and thus a unified whole. No part of the many ordinances plural was to be dropped out of the singular ordinance, but all were to be observed alike. If you want an example of that, what does James say in the 59th book of the Bible? If you commit one sin, you've broken the whole law. It is a law. There's lots of laws, but there's one law. Well, here there's one ordinance with lots of little ordinances. You all understand that. In other words, there are other commands within the law of the Passover, which the Lord did not specify. Instead, he highlighted these and then expands on that by essentially telling them these and all other things which have already been instructed. Later, Jewish commentators say that the Feast of Unleavened Bread was not observed here and that it was not necessary to put leaven out of the house. However, this shows that to be incorrect. It was a part of the Passover feast and it was certainly observed. In fact, the departure from Sinai, as is recorded in Numbers chapter 10, occurs on the 20th day of the second month. That gave sufficient time for those who observed the little Passover to also observe unleavened bread. Why is that? The Passover is on the 14th. 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. There's plenty of time for them to observe unleavened bread and then depart. Each of the details given here has been to ensure that the people would not think of changing any of the symbolism of the first Passover. Whether observed in the first month or the second, it was to have the exact same observances, looking forward to the exact same fulfillment in Christ. There was to be no less solemnity regardless of when it was observed. Verse 13, but the man who is clean and is not on a journey and ceases to keep the Passover, that same person shall be cut off from among his people. Now, remember what we read from Hezekiah earlier, right? Because he did not bring the offering of the Lord at its appointed time, that man shall bear his sin. Verse 10 says, if any one of you or your posterity is unclean because of a corpse or is far away on a journey, that is being repeated now to show that the Passover observance was absolutely mandatory for those who were able to attend. There was to be no tolerance for any who could not observe it and simply wanted to put it off until later. The appointed time was set because it is the same day that Christ died on the cross. An exception was only made for those who were incapable of participating in the observance, but only as clearly specified. For such a person who refused, he was to be cut off from among his people. The explanation of that is given in the final words, that man shall bear his sin. He was to be executed and his sin would remain unatoned for. Verse 14 finishes with these words. And if a stranger dwells among you and would keep the Lord's Passover, he must do so according to the rite of the Passover and according to its ceremony. You shall have one ordinance, both for the stranger and the native of the land. These words are a close repeat of what is stated in Exodus 12. In essence, if someone were to keep the Passover, they were to first meet the requirements outlined there. And then they were to be automatically incorporated into the people of Israel. Here's how it is said there. Exodus 12, verses 48 and 49. And when a stranger dwells with you and wants to keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised, and then let him come near and keep it. And he shall be as a native of the land, for no uncircumcised person shall eat it. One law shall be for the native born and for the stranger who dwells among you. Two of the three signs of truly being an Israelite are given right here, Passover observance and circumcision. The third sign, that of Sabbath observance, would go along with this after accepting the first two. The words of Exodus 12 say that if he agrees to these things, he shall be as an Ezrach, or native of the land. The word comes from Zarach, meaning a native or a homegrown. From that time forward, the stranger was to be counted as Israel. In his Passover observance, he was then bound to the same statute of the Passover as any other. If you take time and click onto my Facebook page and you look at the photos that Doug Callerson posted of the artwork for this sermon that he did, it has people from all over the world. He's got a guy that looks like me with a squirrely little uh, mustache, and he's got a Japanese girl sitting there with the cherry blossom kimono on, and he's got some Turkish-looking guy or whatever, and he's got a guy from Russia with this, and he's got a cowboy with the hat. He is showing exactly what's being pictured here. 
the Lord is accepting anybody as an as rock of the land if they participate in the Passover. And we do. We don't do it literally by taking a lamb. We do it by taking Jesus Christ. And that's why Doug is such a wonderful asset to this ministry. He's over in Ireland. I don't know if you're online right now, but if you are, I love you, Doug. He does these wonderful paintings just for this church for every single sermon. And he, he nailed it with this one. Take time to look at that. I always post them on the videos, too. So if you watch the video again, then you'll see it. And I post the progression. He starts with just a squiggly and then a couple faces, and then he just keeps going in color. He adds in. It's beautiful. It's marvelous what he does, but he really pegged it this time. Anyway, it is a picture of faith in Christ, a native who did not observe the Passover. A native who did not observe the Passover, an Israelite, was to be cut off. He was demonstrating no affiliation with Jesus Christ. However, a foreigner who did observe was to be counted as a native of Israel, sharing in its commonwealth. Such is the relationship of those who are in Jesus Christ. Paul shows as much in the book of Romans. In the end, it all comes down to right here, a matter of the heart. That's where it comes down to. The physical pictures and requirements of the law only point to spiritual truths in Jesus Christ. We cannot rely on externals to get us to heaven. We can only rely on Christ, whom all of these things we keep seeing pictures week after week, sentence after sentence, word after word. It is all about Jesus. He is the fulfillment of everything we see. And in him is the embodiment of this otherwise impossible law. But the Lord is gracious enough to give all of us second chances, even if we fail the first time. The lesson of Hezekiah, which we brought up at the beginning of the sermon, shows us this. The people, they had failed to observe the Passover at its appointed time, and for reasons not allowed under the law, and yet the Lord still heard them, and he responded by accepting them. This is the marvel of God, which is found in Jesus Christ. Yes, there are types and pictures which lead up to him, but they cannot completely reveal the magnificence of the mercy and grace of God toward truly repentant sinners. God is not a cosmic pushover, but he will not refuse the cries of one who turns to him, even if it is later than was originally intended. His love, grace, and mercy go beyond the rigid walls of the law, even to the furthest extent of the human soul, which is willing to turn to him in faith that he will in fact respond. Let us then accept this premise and let us not think that we have gone beyond his ability to forgive us. If we are still alive, we haven't. Call on Christ and because he is the Lord and because he is the Lord's Passover, he will be your Passover too. Jim played us a song today. Oh, sing a song of Bethlehem. And the last refrain says, Oh, sing a song of Calvary. It's glory and it's dismay of him who hung upon the tree and took our sins away. For he who died on Calvary is risen from the grave and Christ our Lord by heaven adored is mighty now to save. That's what we come to church for is to worship the one who did these things for us. It is all about Jesus. All of this law, all of this rigidity, all of this bondage that these people are under was only to lead us to an understanding of how gracious and merciful God actually is. This is why he came, is to take away our sin debt. We're living in Egypt. We're filled with sin. We're in bondage to whatever our affliction is, whatever our mental problems are. He is there to fix us. I have been in the projects now for 11, almost 12 years. There was a family down there. They came and visited one time. The children were this big when they came to visit. They're all grown up and responsible now. But when I was down there, it's a Hispanic family. I won't go any further than that. One of them was a, what's the word when you have multiple personalities? Schizophrenic. Schizophrenic. One of the daughters was suicidal. She had to be committed a few times. And we kept going. And we kept going. And we told them about Jesus and that guy is so normal now, he is beyond normal. He is on fire for the Lord. He, I won't say what he does. You might meet him sometime, but he, well, yeah, I will. He drives a taxi, and he tells everybody that gets into that taxi about Jesus. And people hire him. They t they'll have him go all the way down to Miami because they love the guy, right? Jesus Christ healed that man, and he also gave him a new heart. And then the daughter one time was committed, 
Now, I'll tell you what happened. I think I said this during a sermon one time, but I'm going to tell you what happened. It had nothing to do with me. I just happened to be there when it happened. I went over there. I was allowed, being a minister, to go into this secured facility, and there were people all over watching. There were other people at other tables, and I sat down, and I talked with her about Jesus. I talked to her about Jesus for about 15 or 20 minutes, and I left. And I was gone the next week, and the week after that, Jim said to me, something happened. Something happened. They said, who is the old man? Who is the old man that came by and talked to the girl? What did he say? Because within two minutes, she was completely different. The only way they could describe it to him was this. Her whole life changed in just two minutes. And that girl is to this day normal, happy, friendly, working, because of the power of Jesus Christ. And an old guy that got to tell her about it. <laughs> anyway, I'm trying to tell you this so you understand that this is not just a fairy tale. This is something that is real. He can change anybody if you will simply give him the chance. Call on him and he will change you. And he will redeem you and you will be forever with your heavenly father in a place a lot better than this. Our closing verse comes from Colossians 1. It's verses 13 and 14. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his love in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. All picture back here in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. It's all right here. I've got a question for you. I've stumped you every week. Let's see if we can do something about it this week. What verses explicitly state that we are no longer Necessary. It is no longer necessary for us to observe the Sabbath or the feasts of Israel. What verses are they? Can you tell me what book they are in? I gave, no, it's not in Romans. I gave it to you. Every single feast of the Lord's sermon, I gave this to you. And I said, don't forget these verses. No, it's close. So it begins with a C. No, it's not 2 Corinthians, but it still begins with a C. Colossians. Colossians 2, 16 and 17. Let me read them to you. All right. I got you, but Vic was very close. He got a C and then a C and then a third C and he got it. So, all right. It's from Colossians. Hang on. Let me get you there too. All right. I asked everybody not to forget those verses because I gave them every single Feast of the Lord sermon and you let me down, but that's okay. Here we go. Colossians 2, 16 and 17. So let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance is of Christ. So that's where we are. All right, everybody, next week, I want you to pay attention, anticipate what I'm going to ask. All right, the Lord has you exactly where he wants you. He has a good plan and a purpose for you. It may seem at times as if you are lost in a desert, wandering aimlessly, but the Lord is there carefully leading you to the land of promise. And so follow him and trust him, and he will do marvelous things for you and through you, okay? Our poem today is called The Lord's Passover. Now the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai, words he was relaying, in the first month of the second year after they had come out of the land of Egypt, saying, Let the children of Israel keep the Passover at its appointed time. On the fourteenth day of this month, so to you I submit. At twilight, you shall keep it at its appointed time. According to all the rites and ceremonies, you shall keep it. So Moses told the children of Israel that they should keep the Passover. So he did to them tell. And they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the first month at twilight in the wilderness of Sinai. According to all that the Lord commanded Moses, so the children of Israel did by and by. Now there were certain men who were defiled by a human corpse to their dismay so that they could not keep on that day the Passover And they came before Moses and Aaron that day. And those men said to him, we became defiled by a human corpse as the Lord to us did tell. Why are we kept from presenting the offering of the Lord at its appointed time among the children of Israel? And Moses said to them, in order for this issue to see through, stand still that I may hear what the Lord will command concerning you. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying these words to him. He was then relaying. Speak to the children of Israel, saying, If any one of you or your posterity is unclean because of a corpse or is far away on a journey, he may still keep the Lord's Passover, as will now be seen. On the fourteenth day of the second month, at twilight, they may keep it. They shall eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. So to you, these things I do submit. They shall leave none of it until morning, nor break one of its bones. To these rules they shall commit. According to all the ordinances of the Passover, they shall keep it. 
but the man who is clean and is not on a journey and ceases to keep the Passover. That same person shall be cut off from among his people. That guy shall be done in because he did not bring the offering of the Lord at its appointed time. That man shall bear his sin. And if a stranger dwells among you and would keep the Lord's Passover as detailed by me, he must do so according to the rite of the Passover and according to its ceremony. You shall have one ordinance, so you are to understand both for the stranger and the native of the land. Lord God, we are even now in a wilderness and we are wanting to be led by you. Without you to direct our lives would be a mess. And so be our guide, O God, you who are faithful and true. We long for the water in this barren land. May it flow forth from the rock our souls to satisfy. Give us this refreshing spiritual hand and may we take it and to our lives daily it apply. And we shall be content and satisfied in you alone. We will follow you as we sing our songs of praise. Hallelujah to you, to us, your path you have shown. Hallelujah. We shall sing to you for all of our days. Hallelujah and amen. Heavenly Father, thank you that we are given second chances in Christ. Even people that are disobedient, if their heart is turned toward you and they just look for the simple grace and mercy, which ceaselessly, endlessly flows from your throne of grace, they will receive it. But it must be through the path that you have chosen. We know that. And so we thank you for the path that is given in Jesus Christ, our Lord. What a wonderful thing you have done for us, Lord. And we certainly pray for those who are not here right now or struggling with their issues that we mentioned earlier for less who may still be preaching at this time. And uh, Lord, we would pray for the people in the projects that hear the word week after week, that they would also have a chance to change their hearts and to come to you and to know you more fully. And Lord, we just love you. We thank you for this word, this sure word, which is without fault or contradiction in any way. We have a sure hope. We don't need anything more than it. Our faith will someday be sight, but right now we live by faith in the word which is given, which tells us of Jesus. And so it's in his beautiful name we pray. Amen. Amen.